This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not provided as financial, legal, or any other advice. The information is not investment advice or an offer to buy or sell any securities or make any investment. The views expressed by guest speakers are their own and any reference to third-party products, services, or information does not constitute an endorsement thereof by SNN or its affiliates. SNN expressly disclaims all liability for any individual's use of the information presented in this podcast. My guest on the show today is Phil Richards, CFO of Carrero Network Security PLC. It's a publicly traded company. The symbol is CNS on the AIM. Carrero Network Security is a leading provider of distributed denial of service, DDoS, protection solutions, specializing in automatic detection and protection solutions that includes network visibility, analytics, and reporting tools. Carrero's technology provides scalable protection capabilities against both external DDoS attackers and internal DDoS threats in even the most complex edge and subscriber environments, ensuring internet service availability and uptime. According to Carrero's annual DDoS threat intelligence report that they recently published, there's been a 300% increase in carpet bomb attacks in 2022 compared to 2021, over seven times as many Mirai-like DDoS attacks in 2022 than in 2021, and twice as many DDoS attacks targeting DNS domain name system services in 2022 than in 2020. Needless to say, the need for cybersecurity solutions is on the rise. And I wanted to better understand how Carrero is addressing these industry tailwinds, as well as how Carrero's DDoS protection solutions are unique and different compared to their peers, the nature of their partnerships with firms like Juniper Networks, which owns 9.9% of Carrero. From a corporate perspective, being a publicly traded microcap on the AIM exchange, recent financial performance and executive management shakeup, and Carrero's three to five year vision for the company and the inflection points that will get them there. With that, please enjoy my conversation with Phil Richards, CFO of Carrero Network Security. Phil, thank you for joining me today. How are you doing? Thanks, Robert. I'm very well. Thank you. Very well. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate that. Absolutely. Listen, this is, I'm excited. You're our first uh, AIM listed company to that we've had here on the due diligence series. So I'm excited to get a better understanding of the company itself, of course. And then also, you know, just, hey, being public on the AIM, you know, what that experience is like. But, you know, my my first question for everyone on here, so, uh, you know, not to just fire one right at you, but we're going to do it. Um, how would you describe Carrero in one sentence? What's that best description? The DDoS protection specialists. All right, there we go. Well, I want to also get some history too. So, you know, let's take a look back at Carrero's history. You know, sure. when was the company founded and what was the original thesis for its founding? So, uh, it's like the, not, not a simple question as, as you might have thought because the right. company's been through from a the, few from, iterations, right? By the way, from the shortest um, question to the, obviously the longest question. Yeah. <laughs> So, because the the company originally was called uh, Top Layer, and it was educational software, um, and and then that that piece of the business was was spun off, um, and then it focused on the cybersecurity DDoS specialism, and therefore changed and not therefore, but then we changed our name to Carrero, uh, and we're listed on the AIM Stock Exchange. So it's been around for quite a while, ten plus years. Um, so it's it's a it, it's a bit of an anomaly because it's 
it, it's got a real startup feel to it, but it actually is quite a mature company in the terms of how long it's been on the stock exchange, how long it's been around. And, and therefore, a lot of the people in the organization are actually, you know, we have a lot of reasonably long tenured people, you know, five, 10 years plus people. There's a significant amount of the company has been there through these iterations as well. So it's, it's quite this kind of, you know, sort of in the middle between nice tech startup feel, but also mature listed company been there seen there done up so done that so it's it's a little bit of both very good hey real quick for those that don't know what ddos means uh ddos the the acronym and everything can you can you just quickly explain what that means and how basically how carrero is now in this space of course so it stands for distributed denial of service and, and effectively what that means is when someone initiates a ddos attack it's effectively effectively pushing a lot of data at your server your website whatever it is at the same time so basically spamming it with you know trillions of gigs of requests that floods the server floods you know your network and takes everything down effectively so it so means that you cannot you know you cannot function as an organization and these attacks may be you know seconds minutes whatever it may be and it's just dumping so much data down that you know the system's overwhelmed and and that is a, obviously a huge inconvenience in itself. But the secondary inconvenience, which can be even more serious, is actually that this takes down the defences of companies and means that other malware can get in underneath, as it were, slip in through under the radar. So you've got this huge amount of noise, which in itself is is pretty horrendous. And if you are a, a you know, I used to work in sports sports betting, for example. So so being down for you know even a few seconds during Super Bowl or whatever it might be is is pretty disastrous for sports betting companies. So so that act in itself can be very bad if you rely on latency as your absolute you know USP, but or minimizing latency. But this idea that the defenses are down and therefore stuff can come in underneath is, is something which which maybe is not quite as well understood. Um, but that that is effectively what DDoS is. It's a very it's a very basic attack. That can do a hell of a lot of damage, and it's it's pretty simple. It's not difficult to find people that will do a DDoS attack for you. It's not an expensive way of you know bringing someone down. So it's you know it's scary in that respect that you know it's it's quite easy to do, but it can cause a hell of a lot of damage and signify an even bigger problem than that. Very good. All right, so Carrero is in the business of providing these DDoS protection solutions. Can you describe? exactly what they are and how are they unique and different maybe compared to some of your peers out there? Yeah, absolutely. So effectively what we try to do is filter out what is malicious from non-malicious traffic in terms of basically make sure that your network doesn't go down. So we analyze, you know, patterns, data volumes, etc., and then see, okay, well, hold on, there's a spike here. This actually may be a signal that something is about to happen or that you are under attack. And we use, you know, our deep learning of an understanding of when this is likely to be to then work out whether you need to mitigate whether it's legitimate traffic etc so because the key is to make sure you don't you don't want to pull everything out you don't you don't want to shut people down because that's pretty bad in itself you know it's called black holing and effectively that means that people can't do anything so you want to make sure that enough traffic is allowed you know is taken out that you're not overwhelming the network but you're still letting some things through and so where we where we like to think we have a real usp is that traditionally ddos protection was done in the form of scrubbing and scrubbing effectively means it takes everything out cleans it puts it back in again right but that has a time lag that has a delay 
and it's not very scalable. You know, if you are an ISP that's dealing with an unbelievable amount of data, and data obviously is ever increasing every year, scrubbing is not is not a solution for you. So we we have, I mean, we do do scrubbing, but it's not really our preferred because it's not very efficient. So we have these different types of mitigation. So we have what's called inline, which is effectively the most the most efficient, which is it effectively is our solution sitting in line with you know your systems and in real time filtering out just what we think is the malicious traffic so that no there's no disruptions no latency we're not pulling anything out of the system we're just monitoring the data in real time and then we have an edge defense which is just picking at the edges picking out enough that it's not getting anything down and that's really when you're a very big organization and it's just not possible to look at everything so you're saying okay hold on i'm going to pick out enough that we know that it's not going to take your network down so it's it's a solution and, and we try to design these solutions for you know what fits the customer how much data they have how many points of contact etc cetera, etc cetera. Um, and that and that's where we're we can be a lot more flexible we are on on-prem solution primarily which is also very different so many of our competitors are in the cloud only which is fine if everyone's in the cloud, but a lot of people actually were finding it going back to on-prem. And whether it's you want control over your own security or whatever it may be, whether the cloud's providing very expensive, etc. Um, we then are on-prem, so you know you can put our solution in, in your server, in your hosting center, wherever it may be. So, so that's another where we, we we feel that we have an edge. Very good. So I want to talk about market penetration, how you're reaching your target customer base. Another multi-part question. Here you go. Um, who is that target customer that you're looking to reach and work with? And how are you getting to them? So we had a real sort of refocus, as it were, of our sales organization, our go-to-market pitch um, over the last year. And what we are targeting are these tier two, tier three internet service providers. So the regional broadband providers, people like that, that, you know, we're not targeting your big players, you know, your AT&Ts and stuff like that. We're targeting those that, that are slightly smaller than that, still need to provide protection to their customers. And we're also targeting data host set, hosting centers, people like that, you know, that, that again, where you can add us as a top layer and you can also, it, it can be a real win-win because you can then on charge our service to your end customer you say hey listen if you come with us we'll also provide ddos protection to you um you know the, the little extra cost on top of that but that's you know for them that's scalable if they have a thousand customers charging each you know whatever it is a month then that means they're basically you know great roi what they're paying us for example so th those are really the types of people we're targeting targeting SaaS enterprises as well but going into that and and geographically you know predominantly our footprint is us based you know with 70 percent around about there in the US um, at the moment of our revenues and, and the rest is UK, some in Europe, um, tiny little bit of APAC, but but the focus really is, you know, US, Europe as, as the sort of second market for us. Very good. And I, I figured now is probably a good time to talk about, you know, one of the um, big, uh, I guess, source of revenue from my understanding is some of these global partnerships that you've put together that are with Carrero. Carreras put together, you know. I say you is the royal you, right? Big Lebowski, well, I'll, you know? I'll take all the credit. I mean, I have nothing to do with <laughs> no them, but I'll take it. I'll take it anyway. <laughs> Fair enough. So, um, you know, speaking of these partnerships, you got Juniper Networks. Uh, I think also GTT as well. So, can you explain the nature of these relationships? And I think I think I saw somewhere that Juniper owns about nine point nine percent of the company, if that's correct. 
Okay. Great bit of great bit of homework there, Robert. Absolutely. So they do, and that, and that's quite nice for us because that means there's there's a real mutual benefit to the relationship, whatever happens uh, with, with that investment in us. And that that you know, <clears throat> for us, these partnerships are about two things. One of them is reaching a customer base that we can't normally reach. You know, Juniper's a lot bigger. They 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 have a lot bigger customers and further reach to us, whether it's in geographical markets that we can't target or specific customers that just won't look at someone who's as small as us and want a complete solution. You know, they don't want to be bitty and go, you know, a little bit of DDoS from this person and a little bit of this from that. You know, they want the whole thing. And then we tackle them to the end of a Juniper product and they say, hey, listen, you've got the whole lot, including DDoS. And that, but, but the second is also the the tech validation, which is extremely important to us. You know, if you have someone like Juniper saying, you know, these are our DDoS suppliers, it's like, hey, listen, actually, we've looked out in the market and they're the best at what they do. And that's why we're partnering with them. And that and that for us is is extremely important as well, because, as I said, we're only small. And by having names like Juniper that we partner with, we can demonstrate that actually the tech is is fantastic because otherwise they wouldn't they wouldn't be using our solution. So. You know, same with GTT, and and it just helps us. It just helps us reach places that we can't reach. It gives us those, you know, extra arms and legs in places that we don't have boots on the ground. So, you know, it's a really great mutually beneficial because we give them a product they don't have themselves, and they don't have to develop themselves. So, it you know, it's a win-win for everyone. Very cool. And I mean, from what you can tell us, I, I would assume that these are these types of partnerships your the company is looking to continue to develop and find other folks to find those, you know, channel partners so that you can sell into that kind of thing. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's a real focus of us to find as many partners as we can. It's, you know, it, it only helps us, um, you know, both from a customer reach and tech validation standpoint. And uh, and they've been a real success for us. And we, and we put a lot of effort into the current partnerships and into looking for for wherever we can for new ones. Very good. All right. So my next topic I want to get to is um, talking about some of the the DDoS. Is DDoS, DDoS, how should I? DDoS. Oh, you say DDoS. What, what, DDoS. what if you want? Right. Well, I'm good with all of them. <laughs> all right. So, you know, looking at some industry tailwinds for, for DDoS, um, you know, the company actually, I think you guys just put out this DDoS threat intelligence report uh, where some of the findings saw 300%, this, according to your report, 300% increase in carpet bomb attacks in 2022 compared to 2021. Uh, over seven times as many Mirai-like DDoS attacks in 2022 than in 2021. Twice as many DDoS attacks targeting uh, domain name system DNS services in 2022 than in 2020. So, you know, these are some pretty stark numbers to say the least. So can you explain a little bit more about the report, how this affects, you know, the company's demand for your products and goods, as well as just the industry and just then maybe I guess be that expert on DDoS and what the heck's going on out there. It just seems like there's an attack every second right now. Yeah, there is. And I think the main the, the main thing to take from the report is it's it's not going away. You know, that's the thing. It's it's not a it's not a new form of cybercrime. You know, it's one of the oldest forms out there, and you know, it's been around for a long, long time. Um, you know, 10 plus years. And but but it's not going away. People are it's still, as I said, it's very simple. It's a very simple way of, of, of doing a lot of damage. Uh, the carpet bomb is a slightly newer version of it that we're seeing where people aren't targeting specific. They're just targeting an area, you know, scattering it across and seeing basically where it hits in a particular area, whether it's, you know, a, a geographical area or whatever that area may look like. Um, it, as I said, so it's, it's really not going away. They are, you know, we're seeing an ever-increasing trend and, but you've got to also think that every year, you know, the amount of data people use goes up. The amount of, you know, companies out there requiring, you know, 
connectivity, low latency, et cetera, goes up. So it's inevitable that the disruption is year on year is going gonna, is gonna to be worse and worse. And the more globally connected people are as well, you know, it, it, it then will impact different countries in different ways. You know, it's, it's obviously at its most mature in places like the US where the internet, you know, is, is the be all and end all, but it's certainly taking off in other places as well. And right across the globe. So it, yeah, unfortunately it's not going anywhere. And, you know, obviously that gives us a, a significant market to address that is, it is keep on growing, that does keep on growing uh, and growing. Very good. All right. So Phil, I, I build, I built you up to, to this point to ask a, you know, a couple tough questions, right? I mean, I think anybody that's followed Carrero and has seen the news, you know, the, the CEO resigned back in February. The position hasn't been filled yet. You're doing a great job auditioning for the role, by the way, you know, just uh, between us. Um, but, you know, that bit of news and and it's, you know, look, the company's still profitable. Yeah, revenues were down, your, you know, from 2021 to 2022, but the company's still, you know, positive, EBITDA positive. You know, so can you, what's going on? Give, give us kind of the, the corporate update. What, what's happening here? What's the plan going forward? What, what's happening? No, it's, it's absolutely fair. And, and listen, I, you know, I'll be the first to hold my hands up and say 2022 was disappointing. Um, you know, there's there's no two ways about it. We, The market expected us to grow and we didn't uh, from revenue. We had some really good underlying growth in there with our annual recurring revenues, which is what the market really looks at in terms of long-term valuation or maybe should look at. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, EBITDA profitable, but not as profitable as 2021. So that there were certainly some things where you'd say, look, you, you didn't really deliver on what, the market thought you were going to do now tough comparative with 2021 is what i'd first say um but secondly you know we we were quite clear that what we really are doing is refocusing as i was saying before about you know this this ideal customer profile refocusing the sales team really understanding who we're targeting not going after big white elephants and and um and, and that seems to be paying dividends because we bought out our trading update last week um you know for the half year we were 10.6 million revenue 20% up year on year, uh, bookings up 19% year on year, um, you know, uh, ARR, this annual recurring revenue up 13% year on year. So we had, you know, the first half, we, you know, we, we cautiously optimistic, you know, it's looking like, okay, we, we get that 2022, we didn't deliver what we said we'd do. And so look, we're going to try and reset expectations a bit. And and I know you wanted to talk in a bit about, you know, what it's like being on the aim market, but, but that's one of the realities is that, listen, you can't, You've got to deliver on on what the market thinks you're going to do, and you've got to steer the market the right way, which we, we kind of didn't quite manage to do in 22. So, so this year, you know, the analysts have got us as a, a much more conservative growth rate, but that's good for us. You know, we want to we want to make sure we're at a rate that is sustainable that we can deliver on, and and H1 did did so accordingly. So I was I was really pleased to come out with that. As an aside, probably the first bit of good news I've managed to put out since I joined in November, having having had to to go through the year end. So that that was nice. But you know, it, it's nice that we're really you know demonstrating that it's working, just quietly you know quietly delivering, which is what we need to be doing. Yeah, I mean, look, it's tough, you know, because on. I mean, I, 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 in my research, I didn't know if the company put out any like guidance on what you expected to do for 2022 or anything like that. But if you did, and it was to be supposed to be more than 2021, yeah, yeah, that's rough, right? Like, because investors expect this, you get that, all right. You know, now you kind of got to go back to the drawing board and build that trust back up. But you know, I mean, if everything that you're saying to me is you know on on point, then all right, it seems like you know you guys are kind of starting to get the ball rolling again. But you know, also wanted to ask on on 
the the key management team, you know, I'm not going to ask the reasons for the why CEO left, you know, there's always so many different reasons. And, you know, but even if I asked, you'd probably give me some kind of stock answer anyway. So I'm not even going to go there, but what's the goal? What's the, what's the, in terms of the, the management team construction, you know, what's the plan moving forward there? Are you guys looking to fill that role? Yeah. So, so look, you know, long, long term we are, um, you know, we've, 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 we've obviously sort of put out a few messages about, you know, the fact that the directors are looking into it. It's not, it's not something that's going to be done super quick. You know, it's not something where, because we, we think that look we we're in a good spot you know we're delivering we've got a really tight strategy we know what we're doing we don't it's it's not essential for us at the moment you know Jens Montanano who's our sort of key key shareholder is stepped in and he's also our chairman of our board but he stepped in as exec chairman and is able to dedicate quite a lot of time so we have that you know sort of CEO type presence there of someone who's extremely experienced in the market and knows career inside out we've got Andrew Miller who was you know my predecessor um two CFOs ago who's come in as deputy COO for the interim period so we've got some really really solid wise heads in there along with a really good management team so there's there's not really a feeling that we need to disrupt it you know knee-jerk reaction get in a new CEO you know we want to plan for long term what do we actually want and then you know make sure we're getting the right person for the role absolutely so another question I have, as you said, you know, I wanted to kind of quickly cover the fact that, you know, as I said at the top, you're the first AIM listed company that we've had on the podcast here. You know, my audience is primarily North American, both US and Canada. You know, so when they're assessing Carrera or even any AIM listed company for, as a, for a potential investment doing the deeper dive due diligence, what would you say are some of the things that folks should really better understand about the, I guess, the microcap ecosystem uh for companies that are listed on the AIM or LSC? Yeah, I mean, investing from the US into AIM is quite difficult, I think, uh, it, it full stop. I think it's actually quite tough to be able to buy securities because it's not a it's not a market that many brokers want to dip into from the US. And it's quite, you know, it's quite small. The stock is, it, it can be quite illiquid. Um, it's, it's a difficult market to, um, to be on, really, at the moment. There's not a lot of, interest and excitement i mean investing in aim at the moment i'm going to be brutally honest about it and it's not you know it's common knowledge and and this is just a factor of you know the macroeconomic conditions at the moment aren't particularly great our market cap is you know it's it's small and it's under investment quality for a lot of people in terms of market size and particularly in the us you know your your market investment multiples in the us a lot higher than in the uk so you know where someone in the us wouldn't you know, many people wouldn't invest in anything that's under, you know, 100 million, 200, half a billion market cap. We're clearly not that. Um, but to understand the A market is really, you know, w- w- what is what is the purpose of AIM? It's really to give companies, uh, you know, a public profile that are not that big, but, you know, have a good product, have really good growth potential. And there are certain investors that do like looking at AIM and do like, you know, a little bit more of a speculative investment. Um, it's, but you've got to, you know, you you've got to kind of know what you're doing because there's a lot of stuff on AIM which is, as you'd expect, not of the highest quality. And unfortunately, sometimes you get tired with that brush. You know, you, every you know that we have very rigid regulatory and reporting requirements. You know, we we, we report everything, and the corporate governance is is extremely strict on that as well. But still, there are some, you know, there are some AIM companies that that don't don't perform as they should do, and and then we all get we all get tarnished with that brush, unfortunately. So you know. 
Yeah, I I, it, I asked this because I, I there was a I mean they said this in in uh, I think I saw this investor I can't remember I so I apologize if I'm not giving the proper credit but they were like yeah no when you look at the aim listed companies you know is the in North America the U S like we're always the last to know when some if something happens you know the stock like we'll wake up the next thing we know the stock's down twenty percent and it's like what the what 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 happened, you know, and it's, you know, it's nice, you know, I, if I could recommend anything for folks listening to this and they're looking at the aim, try and develop some relationships with folks, uh, boots on the ground, you know, it's good to kind of have that network up there to better understand, you know, what's going on on a day-to-day basis. You know, even if, even if the company is selling obviously globally outside just the UK, you know, it's, it's good to know what's going on on the ground. Um, next question for you. Um, this is another question I love to ask everybody on here. You know, um, you've done a, you know, the dog and pony show a little bit, right? Like you did, uh, you did a presentation at, at Ian Castle's Microcap Club uh, Leadership Summit last year in October. You know, so you've gone out there, you've started to talk to, you know, global at a global investor audience, you know, even after doing some of these presentations, doing some one-on-ones with investors, you know, what are folks still getting confused about when thinking about Carrero? And maybe, maybe some frequently asked questions you'll be getting, you've been getting and cover them right now. Yeah, sure. I mean, generally speaking, I think that AIM is quite an interesting one in that respect because a lot of people that invest in AIM really do understand the tech because it you have to. It, it, it's not really for the sort of always for the speculative investors, but but what do they get confused about? Us is firstly, you know, how many products do we have, and and do we offer you know a full suite of cybersecurity? And the answer is no. You know, look, DDoS is extremely you know, very different from whether it's uh, offering firewall protection or, you know, protecting against phishing attacks and all that stuff, it, it's totally different. You know, yeah, look, we're in cybersecurity, but we don't, you know, they are complementary products if you want to buy a full cybersecurity suite package, but it's not like we could suddenly switch across and develop this product or that product. It's, it's, it, it's not, you know, they're not comparable. And I think that, that, you know, to make that clear and to say to people, look, we are, we are part of a cybersecurity solution, but we're not the... So, you know, we're not the only thing. You can't just get DDoS protection. That'd be the second one is that you typically, as like in a small company, you're not you're not gonna go out and buy DDoS protection yourself. Like that's quite an expensive solution for a problem that you probably could, you know, you, you really want to rely on your internet service providers, your data hosts and stuff like that. And and it's getting that understanding that we 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 kind of sit in the middle, you know. We're not, we we're going to these these middle people that then provide protection across their customer network. We're not going down to your individual kind of small enterprise and selling in because it, it, you know it's not not really efficient for anyone. So trying to get them to understand that model and why we're going for these connectivity providers, the hosting providers, the SaaS providers, that type of stuff, and getting them to understand why that's our market, not. You know, why don't you sell DDoS to X, Y, and Z Inc over there? It's like, well, it's probably an expensive solution for that. So, so, so that's really where we're at, and and trying to, you know, and and also trying to explain how the, you know, how the tech works, and the and the fact that we do actually have, you know, hardware with our name on it. Sometimes, sometimes it's it's just software. It totally depends. We're pretty flexible like that. Very good. So another kind of devil's advocate type question for you. It's my last one, I promise. Um, you know, in, in your opinion, what would you, any investor that were to ask you this, you know, what, what would you say are some of the company's downside risks? Like where where could things all go to hell? Obviously there's execution, <laughs> so I'm not even gonna let you answer that. But what what else is there that folks should better understand? I mean, 
look, we're, we're only as good as the product, right? If, as you say, you know, if the product, if the product fails, you know, the reputation has gone. So, so that, that, that is obviously something where, you know, we, we take great pride in our products and we have to make sure that it's, it's absolutely top of the range. So that, that is, you know, that is for us absolutely key, you know, that, you know, if, if the product, if the product fails, then we are, you know, we, we are not in a good position. So that, that, that's really key. I mean, I think really we, it, it's not so much that if something happens to us, it's just really that to grow, we have to display sometimes some very big competitors and that can be quite difficult. You know, that's a real challenge for us is a, is a small, a small company with a lot of big people that we're playing up against. It's, it's one of those, it's a double-edged sword in the industry. So stickiness is absolutely a big thing. You know, we get 98% customer retention rate, but that's not to say that other people don't have the same because you don't normally change out your cybersecurity provider unless something's gone really badly wrong, right? Because it's quite difficult and, and you don't want to lag time between providers. You don't want to be vulnerable, et cetera. So, so whilst that's great when you're in, it's also difficult to get in. So, you know, it, it which is again why we have to focus really diff- really carefully on who we're targeting because there is no point in targeting a big corporation that has an incumbent. It's not happening. Why would they flick them out for us? It doesn't really make sense. So so we've always got to be very wary of the fact that whilst it's great for customer attention purposes, it also can be quite difficult to get in there because there are the incumbents that are hard to displace. Also, I, and also just kind of, you know, spitballing here, you know, if we had the whiteboard from a strategy perspective, you got no shot going into those bigger ones unless you kind of like build up those small wins, small wins. And then you can kind of be like, look, here's here's all the logos we got, you know. But like- bit, you're absolutely right. But it's also, I mean, we don't really want the distraction um, because we've got. It, it takes so long to win a contract in someone like that. You know, the layers right. of bureaucracy, the decision making and things. Uh, and we you know, that is potentially years. I mean, that's years and years. And there's no there's no harm in, as you say, building up those relationships and building up the reputation, which is great. But we can't really be focusing on that because that's not going to give us an ROI in the short to medium term, which is what we need. So great, build up those relationships and make sure that the product speaks for itself. But we can't be relying on that. That's not a strategy that w- will work for us. Fair enough. All right. My wife, well, technically two more questions for you, but the last one is, a, you know, it's a, it's a layup, but you know, for, uh, to close this out here, you know, again, for, in your opinion, where does, where do you and the, the, the Carrero management team, where would you like to see this company be in three to five years? And what would you say are some of the inflection points that'll get you there? Yeah, I think for us, we, you know, we really want to focus on organic growth for us. I mean, it's, it, you know, there's absolutely the market out there for us to attack. We're making inroads now. You know, I'd love to say we're, you know, 50 plus million revenue company. That would be great. Um, you know, we, we, we can always have targets like that. But I think the nice thing is the business model is scalable. You know, it's the product is there that's been, you know, it's been developed. Yes, we have to keep it updated, but the fundamentals are there. So, you know, you had 10, you had 100 customers. Yes, we need to add the customer service on top of that. But it is a scalable, it's a scalable business. So we add to the top line. A lot of that's trickling straight through to the bottom line. And and what we really want to do is just prove to the market, you know, that we're right. We're undervalued. We've got a great growth story and we can deliver on it. So next three years is really head down, deliver, you know, just just make sure that, you know, the, the market understands that because we, we had such a strong growth you know, 2018, 2019, 2020, and then 
2021 and then this 21 to 22 is you know it really set us back at a lot more than it should have done you know our market cap is below where it was when we had half the revenue and weren't profitable it just it doesn't make logical sense but it's because of the way the story built up so the next three years for us has to be steady steady growth you know just hit the targets year on year and then the share price will follow the market cap will follow and good things will happen you know you don't want to let the tail wag the dog you want to just deliver share price will follow from that not the other way around very good all right phil we're there man where can our audience go and find more information on carrera so i mean the best thing is our website of course uh www.carrera.com uh is is the the source of all truth um i'm absolutely happy to take any questions or any information that people want to do, you know, it's just phil.richards at carrera.com if, if anyone wants to drop me a line. But, um, you know, the website's got everything it wants on it. It's got um, product descriptions, investor presentations, you know, the whole shebang, you name it. Very good. And that you said one more time, that was www.carrero.com? www.carrero.com. C-O-R-E-R-O. Very cool. All right. Well, Phil, thank you so much for joining me today. I really do appreciate it. Good luck. Stay safe. And I look forward to our next update. Thanks, Robert. Appreciate your time. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not provided as financial, legal, or any other advice. The information is not investment advice or an offer to buy or sell any securities or make any investment. The views expressed by guest speakers are their own and any reference to third-party products, services, or information does not constitute an endorsement thereof by SNN or its affiliates. SNN expressly disclaims all liability for any individual's use of the information presented in this podcast.